Dustin was approved as the deacon of ordinances, which is really cool. And then I believe our budget was approved as well, right? So yeah, that all that all happened last Sunday. Um, so AJ was asking me this week, what do you refer to me now as? And I said, whatever you want to, just as long as it's not negative. So uh, you don't, just Matt's great. Um, so uh, the other th- other announcement that I was supposed to make that I forgot about last Sunday, but I will remember this Sunday, is starting on February. Oh yes, we have kids church. If you have little kids that want to go to kids church, y'all head on out. Or if you want to go to kids church, I think Dustin's up for that too. So um, yeah, go for it. Um, I, on, on February 21st, I'm going to start a class on teaching the scriptures. Uh, we had a guy come to us a few weeks back, uh, come to Jeremy and said, I want to learn how to preach. And Jeremy came to me and said, Matt, I think you'd be great for teaching this class. And I was like, cool. Uh, and so we are going to start on February 21st. And I think we're going to partner with First Baptist, who might have a few people here, on going through a book that I went through that taught me how to, to teach the scriptures. Uh, and so this is this is the book that we're going to use as our guide is, is focused on preaching, but it says in the opening chapter, it's not just for preachers. Uh, the goal of this class, what my, my desire is that you would be able to sit down with the Word of God and learn how to see what the main point of the passage is and then teach it to somebody else. Um, Matthew 28, the commission that Christ has given to those who are his followers is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. So, so this, this is something that if you're a Christ follower, this is for you. If you proclaim Jesus as Lord, this is a class for you. And I want to encourage you to be there. Um, I think it's going to be really good. I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm really excited about it, uh, and I, I, not because I'm teaching it. The book that we're going to use will be the best resource that you can have um, if this is something that interests you. This is for you, for, for you to be able to sit down with someone one-on-one at lunch and say, let me teach you this passage of Scripture that God's been working on me. This is, this is for you if you're going to teach Sunday school. If you're teaching little kids, it doesn't matter. There's, there's no, this, I think this is broad enough that we're going to go through enough information that regardless of what platform you're on, uh, I think this will be beneficial to you. And, and, and so I want to commend you, encourage you, sign up in the back, on the, on the table in the back. There's a sign-up sheet, and uh, I want to ask that you guys be a part of that. Um, I think it will be beneficial. We're going to start Sunday, February 21st, and I think our time was 5 o'clock, 5 to 6.30. And I've got eight weeks booked. I'm going to try and cram it into six, but knowing who I am and how I go, it's going to be eight weeks. So, uh, teaching class, all right? That's the last announcement. All right, now on to the sermon. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10. If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Like Will said at about six o'clock last night, Jeremy called and said he's not feeling well, and we weren't sure if we were going to do ordination service today, and so we were like, okay. So uh, I started looking back through my files of sermons that I've written in the past, and I had one, and this morning I decided I don't want to do that one, let's do this one instead. And this is a sermon that I wrote for a preaching class, and uh, I think it was my first preaching class, and our professor was a pastor that I just, I really admired, and he was an excellent teacher, just really could could communicate from the pulpit well, could communicate God's word well, and uh, so I was heavily intimidated. And so we had to write a sermon. We had three different sermons that we'd have to write throughout the semester. And we'd stand up and we'd preach it to the six other guys that are like me uh, in the class. And the first time, the, the, pastor, the professor, he got up and he preached the first sermon. And then a couple guys followed. And the next day, a couple guys went. And so I had written this sermon on Luke 10. And then the, pa- the professor, pastor, he, he got up to teach the class. And on the first sermon he preached, it wasn't this exact passage, but it was the same it was the mirror passage in a, different, in a different book. And so I was like, man, 
how am I going to follow that up? That, that's just no fun. So, so I got the, my first time preaching this was with the guy who'd already preached it way better than I have, but I stole some stuff from him, so hopefully it'll be good. Uh, and then one of the other things that they made us do in this class was they made us title our sermons. And I don't see a point in doing that, but as I was reading for this, uh, one of the commentators used a phrase that stuck out, and that was the tyranny of the urgent. So the title for my sermon this morning is a tyranny of the urgent that I stole from somebody else. And as I thought about this passage, and I thought about where we are and what we walk through on a day-to-day basis, and everything, um, everything that we face, I just thought, man, there is so much going on, so much that we have to do every day, that it just can become a tyrannical ruler. It can just overwhelm us. And I, I'm in my off-season right now as a farmer. This is, this is the, the easy part of life for me. But even, even now, like, there's stuff every minute of every day of things to do. And, and so when, when we, when what happens is, is when the urgent prevails in our life, we start, to, we start to make decisions. What are the things that we can push aside? What are the things we don't need? And, and, and often the thing that falls to the side the first is our time with God, is our time knowing Jesus and spending time with him. That discipline tends to fade away. And so we're going to read a story today in Luke 10, verse 38, which is all very familiar to you, of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha, they get Jesus coming in. Well, we'll read it in a second. Uh, Mary and Martha have this encounter with Christ, that which I think Jesus is calling them. What he is saying to them is that we cannot allow the tyranny of the urgent to keep us from spending time with Jesus and listening to his teaching and being in his presence. Martin Luther, who was an old, he's an old dead guy, a church father, um, he, he has written, I think this statistic is still correct, he has written more works than any other person on, in the history of mankind. Luther has written more stuff. And Luther has this saying that's very famous that stuck with me. He said, work, work, from early till late. In fact, I have so much to do today that I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. So how can a man who has written more works and had a huge influence on us today have communicated that much and spent the first three hours of time in prayer. When, when they asked him, Luther, how did you do all this? His response to it was, well, there was two of me. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. So church, this morning, my goal, my desire is for us to be able to look at the tyranny of the urgent and say, Jesus, you're more important. Time with you is worth more than whatever I can accomplish in the day. So, if you have your Bibles, let's read this, we'll pray, and then we'll jump into it. And I'm sorry, I thought I'd turn the sound off on my iPad, but you're going to keep hearing dinging because I'm in a text message group that's getting text messages. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Father, this morning... May we see that time with you is more important than doing anything else. God, may we see you for who you are. May we see us for who we are. 
And may we love you more because of it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Like any good Baptist, I've got three points. Point number one. Point number one is the urgent must not precede our devotion. Number two, the urgent must not replace our devotion. And the third one is the urgent should flow from our devotion. So, point number one, the first truth that we see in this is that the urgent must never precede our devotion. Let's reflect on what's happening in this passage for just a minute. Jesus is on his teaching ministry. He's traveling about, and all of a sudden he comes into this village and he decides to go to Mary and Martha's house. Now, he doesn't call them ahead and let them know he's coming. He doesn't text them, say, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes. He just shows up. Just shows up at the house and says, I'm here. Now, I know my wife well enough to know that if anybody just showed up at our house like that, she would go, oh, great. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. And you would walk in to see our living room destroyed by our children with piles of laundry being done, dishes in the sink, and, and, and as excited as you would be, we would be for you to be there, on the flip side, we'd be going, could you just call the head 10 minutes? So, so you've, you've kind of got this, this, this scenario here where Martha is going, man, the most important person on the planet in the history of all creation has just showed up at my front door, and look at my house, it's a mess. My, my pile of laundry is sitting right there. He's going to see all, all of my personals, right? Like, this is not okay. I've got to get this cleaned up. And so what does Martha do? She does what any good servant would do, right? She goes and she starts, she starts picking up the house. I've got to get my house clean and in order so that that way Jesus doesn't think less of me or I'm not embarrassed. And, and obviously, obviously Jesus won't think that. But, but Martha goes to work. She goes to work getting the house put together, washing the dishes, taking care of stuff, getting the meal ready because you know he's going to stay late because he always does. And, and this is, she's just stressed. There's so much to go on, so much to be anxious about. And then she looks over all of a sudden, and there's her little sister. And what's her little sister doing? Sitting on her tail. Not helping at all. Can, are you kidding me? Like, really? So what does Martha do? She goes up, Jesus, hey, do you not see that my sister's making me do all the work over here? Like, I'm the one sweeping. I'm the one picking up. Could you rebuke her? This is not okay. Jesus, come on. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, so kindly, he puts his arm around her. He says, Martha, Martha. Oh, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus looks at Martha and says, sister, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. I, I'm not here because your house is the cleanest and nicest house in town. That's not why I came to your house. I'm not worried about your laundry. I'm not worried about your dirty dishes. That's, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here because I chose you and because I love you. I want to spend my time with you. My approval, Martha, of you is not based on your house. My approval of you is based on because I chose you, because I love you. How easy is it for us to be like Martha? There's a lot to do today. I got sprinklers. Did you see the wind that came through yesterday? I need to go start some sprinklers because I'm hoping that my wheat survived. Like, there is a lot of work that needs to be done. There is every day. 
right? Every day. Not to mention a family to lead, kids to raise, house to clean, all of that. Taxes to prepare, everything. There's so much to do. And when life gets hectic, when life gets busy, the easiest thing to go is the amount of time we spend sitting at Jesus' feet and listening. Church, when we fail to allow devotion to come before the urgent, what we're doing is we're putting the what before the why. We're putting our works before faith. I mean, you think about what, Mar- what, what Martha was doing. Martha was serving. Was it bad stuff that she was doing? No, th- this was everyday things. It wasn't sin that she was doing. No, rather, she was just taking the, thing, the good things she was trying to do, and she was putting them in, fa- in, in front of her faith, in, in front of trusting in Jesus. Paul, Paul warns the church in Galatia about this. He says, listen, church, there's going to be some false teachers who come in, and they're going to add some prerequisites to your faith. They're going to say you have to do these things to actually gain the approval of God. And Paul writes, and he says, but we know this. We know that a person is not justified by their works, but rather a person's justified through their faith. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by our works. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Church, Paul is clear here. It is not by what you do that you find approval of God. It's not by what you do that you find communion with God. That is not, that is not how we receive relationship with him. Rather, it is by faith in Jesus. You can't get the two reversed. You cannot put your works in front of your faith. That's not how it goes. Allowing service to precede devotion is kind of like building a house backwards. It's like building the frame and then coming in to pour the foundation. If, If you do that, the frame is not built on anything solid, right? Dirk work has to be done. Everything has to be perfect. I, I remember when I was going to school in North Carolina, I worked for a welder, and we were doing a, a really big building project. And we called the builder. It had been a few weeks, and we said, hey, how long till we need to come start standing steel up and, and putting the frame of this together? And it was, I don't know, it was like a three, four, or five-story building. I don't know how, how, how big it was. And he said, listen, he said, if I'm off by an eighth of an inch on my dirt work, by the time we get to the top, we'll be 18 feet off. An eighth of an inch by the time you get to the top is 18 feet. Church, it's the same way with our relationship with God. If you start putting the things that we're supposed to do and you start, start worrying about the day-to-day, what happens is as time goes on, you end up being the leaning tower of Pisa. You're crooked. You're not the way God designed you or created you to be. So you have to lay the foundation first. And the foundation is built on nothing more than faith in Christ and time with him and knowing him. It is important that we never let the urgent precede our devotion. Otherwise, we're like a house without a firm foundation. It appears good at first. Foundation appears great. But in the long run, we're way out of whack. So here's my question for you. When was the last time you sat at Jesus' feet and enjoyed his teaching? When was the last time that you just sat there and thought about who he was, and you thought about who you were, and that he loves you anyways. When was the last time 
you just revel in the truths of the gospel. Church, the urgent, the urgent must never precede our devotion. Second point, the urgent must never replace our devotion. Let's look back in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Again, was she doing something wrong? No. She was taking care of the house. She was doing what you're supposed to do. It's important to note that we don't intentionally often replace devotion with other things. It just tends to kind of happen that way. It just tends to be, you know what, man, normally this time of day I read my Bible, but it's early and, and I'm so far behind on computer work that I just, this morning I'm just going to set it aside. Or, or maybe it's, you know what, I typically do this at night and I'm just tired. I just want to sleep. So tonight I'm going to go to bed early. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll pick back up tomorrow. And then next thing you know, you haven't spent any time with Jesus. A week goes by, a month goes by. I get it. I understand that life happens. I live it too. But one thing is necessary. Jesus, Jesus isn't so much concerned about your capacity and the things that you can do. Jesus isn't after your ability. What Jesus wants is your availability. He wants to spend time with you. And the problem with replacing devotion with service is that when we do that, we're replacing what we do above what he has done. We, we kind of become like the tax collector in Luke 18. Flip over just a couple pages. Luke 18, we'll read through this real quick. It's just a couple verses. You have the Pharisee and the tax collector in, in, in verse 9. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 10. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, he, he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his, his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What is the Pharisee obsessed with? Who's the Pharisee looking at? He's looking at what he does and how good of a person he is. And conversely, what's the tax collector thinking about? God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I recognize who I am, and I recognize who you are. And who does Jesus say is justified? Jesus says the tax collector is. You see, the Pharisee really, he really has no interest in God or his kingdom or knowing Christ. All the Pharisee is motivated with is his own self. He's motivated by building his own kingdom, accomplishing his own works. Church, when we replace devotion with service or with the urgent, what we're really saying to God is, my time is spent better doing the things that matter to me and my family than it is in knowing you. When we say, I don't need to do my devotionals today. I need sleep. 
we're saying, Jesus, I worship sleep more than I worship you. Or when we say, I need to do my computer work, or, or I need to go get sprinklers started, or I need to fill in your blank. What you're saying is, is this is more important than you. When service replaces devotion, what you're seeking is personal promotion. You're seeking your own kingdom and your own glory. And at that point, all of those things have become an idol. They've become your true point of worship. They're really what you're looking after. You're building your own name by using these other things. The works you're performing are done so that your glory is established and not God's. What we tend to do in that, in that situation when we begin to let our devotion slide and the other, more, other things become more important, what we tend to do is we tend to find satisfaction in them. So maybe a way to decide, am I, am I letting other things replace my devotion, is, is to ask the question, what satisfies you? Do you get most gratification in life from your work and from what you do? Do you get most of your satisfaction in life from other people's approval? Or are you finding it in the person of Jesus and who he declares you to be? I, I think an illustration of this for me is just what I do. I love growing watermelons. I love it. It's fun. It's really, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And it's fun for me for a couple reasons. One is, is, is just history. I remember when I was a little kid, my granddaddy would have in his corrals, he, he had two corrals, and he'd rotate his cows from this corral to this corral every year. And so the one that the cows weren't in, he'd go and he'd plant watermelons in. And then when the watermelons would be ready, he'd call, and we'd live three miles away, and say, Matt, the melons are ready. And so I'd jump on my bike, and I'd ride my bike over there, and we'd sit on the step of his barn, and he'd go get his pocket knife, and he'd cut one open, and we'd sit there with two spoons and just ate watermelons till we were sick. I love it. Every time I walk through those fields at the end of the day and eat ten watermelons, I think of that. I think of time with my granddaddy. And I do it now with my dad. You know, it's fun. It's, we get to do that. That is awesome. And on the flip side, I think, about, I think about you. I mean, who in here buys a watermelon just for themselves? Some people do. They're, they're really the salt of the earth kind of people. Everybody else, they, they buy them because you're having people over, right? You buy a watermelon because you're having a party or because it's hot outside. I remember uh, I had a guy tell us once that a watermelon is not an essential item. It's, it's considered, what did he say? It was like a delicacy was the word he used. And I was like, watermelons? But, but you think about it. In, in hard times, people don't put their money towards buying watermelons. They buy what they need. They buy toilet paper if there's any left on the shelf, right? So, so, so a watermelon is, is something for me that is like, man, I think, about, I think about the family that buys this and eats it, and they give it to their friends, and, and hopefully we've grown a really good watermelon, and it's delicious. And one of, the coolest, one of the coolest stories we got was somebody sent us a picture. We sent a truckload of melons to Canada one year, and uh, somebody sent us a picture from Lake Ontario with our watermelon cut open, and they had sat there, and they had gone to the beach with some friends, and they said, this was the best watermelon we've ever had. We just wanted to say thank you. Like, Yeah. Come on now, now you guys want to grow watermelons too, right? This is awesome. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? But what tends to happen is, as we begin to say, man, I'm so glad that somebody knows who More Family Farms is from Ontario, Canada. Look at me. Right? Or we, we tend to go, you guys know me as the watermelon guy. Like that's, that's my, my reputation in this community is one of two things. I'm either the snake bit guy or the watermelon guy. It depends on how long you've known me. Like, that's, that's my reputation. 
So, so, so we tend to find our satisfaction or our identity in the things that we do. And when we've done that, man, we've missed the whole point of what God created us for. We missed the whole thing. All of a sudden, all of a sudden becomes about building the kingdom of Matt, who's the best watermelon grower on the planet, and has nothing to do with serving other people. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with honoring God and bringing him glory by stewarding the creation that he's given us in a way that honors him and serves others. Like we miss the whole thing when we let our devotion fade away. So, So what satisfies you? What brings you joy? Is it Jesus? Is it time with him? Or is it time doing other things? Now, this brings us to my final point. The good news of short, ser- of short notice is short sermons. So, point number three. That rather than the urgent, the tyranny of the urgent preceding or replacing our devotion, rather it should flow from our devotion. We've looked at what not to do, right? We've looked at Martha and said, Martha, shame on you. We've looked at us and said, shame on us. Let's look at Mary for a second. What is Mary doing? She's just sitting there with Jesus. She's just drinking in the words he has to say. She knows who he is. She knows who she is. This whole time, Mary's just sitting with him. Martha is anxious. She's worried. She's distracted with serving, with doing good things. And then Mary's just sitting there. Enjoying the presence of the creator of the universe. How could she do that? How can Mary, with everything else that's going on, sit there? How can you stop? How can Martin Luther say, work, work, so much to do today, I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. How do we do that? What enables us to do that? Mary recognized, Luther recognized, that in Jesus, all of her needs had been met. She needs nothing else because she has him and because he chose her. She didn't need to seek his approval by having the cleanest house or being the most immaculate host or or any of that. She knew his approval of her wasn't based upon the depth or impressiveness of what she could do. Her approval is already seen in the fact that he chose to stay at their house when he entered the village. This, this makes me think of the verse when Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He stands at every one of your doors and he knocks. Are you busy cleaning your house? i got to get this all put together so that then I can come to him. Or do you open the door and say, Jesus, here I am. This is all my mess. Take me as I am. The beauty of the gospel is, is it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and says, all you got to do is open the door. Open the door and let me in. Let me into your house and let me be Lord of your life. Spend time with me. He stands at your door. He has chosen you. He has chosen to spend time with you, to be in your presence. You can be in the presence of Christ, the creator and redeemer of all things. Just open the door. Just open the door. 
choose him above the urgent. Don't let what you have to do here in the next three hours rule your life. Because it will not last. Because in a few hours it's gone and then there's something else more urgent. And then there's something else more pressing. No. Open the door and let Jesus in. Actually, the, uh, the author of the book that we're going to use in our teaching class, his name is Tony Morita. He was a professor I had. And he had this saying that he would use every day in class. And you've heard me say it before. It's that theology determines biography. Theology determines biography. And what that means is, is what you believe is going to determine how you live. What does your life say about what you believe? What does your time say about what you believe? On one hand, this ought to scare us to death. This ought to terrify us. Because I can look at my own life and go, man, my priorities haven't been straight this week. We slipped. I told you earlier, man, we didn't do, we did one night of Bible reading together as a family. Just because we had so many other things going on, we let the tyranny of the urgent rule our lives. Or we got lazy and said, you know what, instead of reading tonight, let's just watch a show so everybody will relax and go to bed. We let the tyranny, the urgent, rule us. What does your life say about how you live and what you believe? Theology determines biography. Church, it is vital that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. You must spend time sitting at Jesus' feet, Drinking in the gospel of truth and joy and peace, reminding yourself that you are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. We are co-heirs with Christ. He has adopted us. When God looks at us now, he sees Jesus, and Jesus sees us as his equal. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Because as you continue to grow in your faith and allow God to mold and shape you, then you can experience life to the fullest. Jesus said, I came to give you Life and life more abundantly. True life is found in time with Christ. You will fulfill your ultimate purpose when you put your devotion ahead of everything, your time with him ahead of everything. Jesus desired that Martha would not allow the needs of the day to keep her from enjoying his presence. He wanted her to recognize that he desired her more than she could offer. Likewise, we cannot allow ourselves, allow our, our service in the urgent and everything else going on to keep us from spending time with him. Our service must never proceed, or the tyranny of the day must never proceed or replace our devotion. Rather, everything else must flow out of our devotion to God, because then our priorities are right. So, so the question then is, is how do we apply this? How do we go about making sure that our devotion is ahead of the urgent? Our devotion is ahead of the good things that we do every day. I've got three things for us to think about. Three things that you can apply right now. The first is an easy one. You've done it. Be at church. Be here. And when I say be here, I don't just mean physically. I mean mentally and emotionally. Think about the words that we sing. Think about what you are proclaiming. Think about that. And believe it. Let the truths of who God is stand amazed in the presence. Think about that. Are you amazed at the presence of who he is? Does that amaze you? Be here. Be at church. Be involved. Be a part of this. The second is be in his word. We're reading through the story. Uh, tomorrow night, women's Bible study. Uh, if you haven't been a part, 
Come on, you can be here. What, what time is it at? 6.30. They're walking through the Word. They're walking through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Be in the Word. Do it individually. You, we have the story back there to help you. Um, right now, for my personal Bible reading, I'm not following a plan. I'm just sitting down every morning with as much time as I can, and I'm reading. I'm reading through the New Testament. That's my goal. If I can do it in the next two weeks, great. If it takes me the rest of the year, I'm reading. That's, that's the goal. And the purpose of my reading is not to come up with a sermon. The purpose of, of reading is, Jesus, I just want to know you. Just help me to see you with fresh eyes, to, to unlearn the things I need to unlearn and relearn the things that I've forgotten. Be in his word. Be at church. And finally, be with his people. Last week, I think Jeremy had a slide that, was with, that talked about doing the one another's. You don't have to necessarily do this every Sunday, um, but I think it was maybe a little different. But wash the feet of one another. Love one another. Live as members of one body. Outdo one another in showing harmony or in showing honor to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. Welcome, instruct, greet, care for, comfort, agree. I know you can't see this. That's why I'm reading. Lovingly serve. Don't provoke. Don't envy. Bear the burdens of one another. Lovingly bear with one another. Put up with each other even when you know each other. Be kind to one another. Forgive. Address songs to one another. What does that look like? We'll come back to that. Submit to one another. Don't lie. Teach and admonish. Come to the teaching class so you can learn how to teach. Encourage one another. Do good to one another. Daily exhort. Stir up one another to good works. Don't speak evil against one another. Don't grumble. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to. Be humble towards one another. If you want to be with Jesus, be with his people. Do these things together. You, you can't live in harmony one, with one another if you're not here. You can't confess your sins to one another unless you spend time with each other. You can't care for one another if you don't know what's going on. Am I preaching to the choir? You are here, yes, a little bit. But I think what God has for you is more than you can ever imagine or conceive. It's beyond Beyond what you can comprehend is what Paul says in Ephesians. Church, this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to not let the tyranny of the urgent rule your life. We have so much to do. That's why we're quitting early today. No, I'm kidding. There is so much to do every day. I get it. I've got kids. I've got a job. I, I know what it's like. Don't let it rule you. It's not worth it. Something else will come in due time to replace that urgent thing. One thing is necessary. One thing can't be taken away from you. That's time with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that in spite of us, you still love us. Thank you, God, that even when we allow the day-to-day to rule our life, God, we get distracted You are a good, kind Father who stands there with open arms and says, I'm here. Even when we rebel and we're like the prodigal son, God, you sprint towards us when we come home. We don't have to put our lives together. We don't have to be in order. We can still be covered in the mess that the the prodigal son was, God. We can still be covered by all that. 
And yet you see us and you love us. God, you love us enough to die for us. Lord, I, I pray that we, we would seek you this week. God, I pray that we would be involved. God, that we wouldn't just be here on Sunday morning physically, but God, we would be so emotionally and mentally. God, that we would engage with you and we would engage with your people. God, I, I pray this week that our people, that everyone in this room, Lord, that they will set aside time, that they will be intentional about being in your word and being with you, about knowing who you are. God, help us to behold you and to see you. God, and I pray this week that we will do the one another's that you've commanded in the New Testament better than we've ever done before. Not out of obligation, but out of love. Out of being a new creation, out of having our minds transformed and being renewed. God, may we function the way that you have created us to function. God, you are good, and you are gracious, and we are grateful. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think our worship team